0: The title of my message today, we're not in any uh, particular series now. Um, I hear Rochelle was amazing uh, last Sunday. Thank you so much. for um, That was awesome. And uh, Jacob, uh, you were the week before, right? Oh, no, it was Jonathan. That's right, Jonathan. Yeah. And I heard he did a fantastic job too. So isn't it great, everybody, that we can be a team together? And, uh, you know, if anything happened to Kate and I, this church would carry on. Might even be better. (laughs) I love it. All right. It's harvest time, everybody. That's the title of my message today. It is harvest time. Say that with me. It is harvest time. It's harvest time. And, uh, you know, you have to have a completely different mentality uh, in harvest time. Um, You have to be you have to be ready to work. You have to be ready to seize the opportunities. See, I'm a farmer's boy. And uh, my family still have a working farm in the United Kingdom. And I trained in agriculture. And in fact, there was a, a time in our lives where from between the age of 27 to 31, Kate and I literally asked by the Lord, we laid our lives down. And would have served him on the farm just shoveling manure and driving tractors and, you know, uh, trimming sheep's hooves and doing all the things that you do on a farm. We would have done that for the rest of our lives. And uh, the thing about harvest time is that you have to seize the opportunities of every day, especially in a nation like the United Kingdom where it rains a lot. Um, but here in here in North Carolina, I'm quite sure that farmers have the exact same situation where they've got moments uh, where they have to jump on the opportunities that the weather gives them, the windows that the weather gives them in order to bring harvest in. And in the kingdom of heaven, right now, everybody, it is harvest time. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. I'm, I'm not going to have you all turn to this because, well, go ahead, why not? Why not return, turn to this? This is not the main passage that I want to preach from. This is the kind of introductory passage that, if you like, began my journey into realizing it's harvest time. And I was reading my Bible through in the year, which I love to do, and I, I know I often say this or say this almost every time I preach, but I really do believe that Every believer in Jesus, the best life you can live in Christ Jesus is to live one lived out reading the word of God every day. Don't live in other people's revelation. Don't live in other people's anointing alone. And definitely don't live in social media Christianity. I want to say, catch the fire family, we are a people of the word of God. We are a people who are passionate about the word of God. We preach the word of God. We live the word of God. And we are also passionate about the Holy Spirit. So it's not either or. It's word and spirit. Of course, it's the son, the word, and the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Okay, Ezekiel 29. I came across this um, verse. Starting in verse 18. Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of... This is God speaking to Ezekiel. Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made his army labor hard against Tyre. Every head was made bald and every shoulder was rubbed bare, yet neither he nor his army got anything from Tyre to pay for the labor that he had performed against her. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall carry off its wealth and despoil it and plunder it, and it shall be the wages for his army. I have given him the land of Egypt as his payment for which he labored, because they worked for me, declares the Lord God. On that day, I will cause a horn, that's always a symbol of strength, to spring up for the house of Israel, and I will open your lips among them. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Well, this is an obscure verse of scripture. And unless you know the scriptures well and you understand uh, the symbolism as well as the actual reality of the historic places that we're talking about, uh, it's hard to understand what's happening here. And I don't want to go into it. I want to use it to show you what the Holy Spirit started in me earlier this summer through this verse. As I began to ponder this verse, of course, I know that Tyre is a city on uh, the Mediterranean Sea, north of Sidon, famous city for uh, its trade because it was on the sea and was like a gateway to the oceans, Tyre was a fortified, highly fortified city and a city of extraordinary wealth because of all the trade. Later on in uh, the scriptures, Tyre is also likened to the system of the world, like Babylon is likened to the system of the world. Egypt is also likened to the world that, does, that has rejected God, that's following false gods, and that is worshipping man because Pharaoh was a god a false god of course but Egypt symbolizes in the scripture the lost it symbolizes the world it symbolizes the pagan nations and so as I'm sitting in all of this I began to wait upon the Lord and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gave me a download it's harvest time Duncan and my church has been laboring hard for the harvest but it's been laboring in the wrong direction and it has worn itself out by trying to reach those people that are not necessarily the ones that are open to the gospel And that actually if my church will simply pivot and go after what heaven has designed to be the most opportune moment for salvation in a human being's life. We will partner with heaven and we will plunder Egypt. We will literally bring the nations out of the dominion of darkness in their hundreds and thousands and even, yes, the one Billion soul harvest prophesied by Bob Jones. So fasten your seatbelts, everybody. We're in harvest time. Turn with me. I'm glad somebody's excited. One or two of you. There, there. You go. You see, this is living proof, everybody, that we've had a hard time concerning the lost. Because when I say it's harvest time, everybody's like, Because our heads are bald and our shoulders are bare. Because we've been pushing in prayer and we've been pushing in evangelism in all the wrong directions. The result of which has been a low level of fruit in comparison to the norm in the kingdom of heaven. How many of you know that Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, it was harvest time? We don't, when when I say to you, Pentecost, your first thought is the Holy Spirit falling. But that wasn't the first thought necessarily of God when he thought of Pentecost. What God thought of Pentecost was 3,000 people saved in one day, which is why the Holy Spirit was sent. Right (laughs) So Let's turn with Did I ask you to turn to John 21 No Turn with me to John 21 Got to keep up with myself here I'm preaching so hard this morning I can't even keep up with myself Okay John chapter 21 Verse 1 after this. Now what's this? After he revealed himself. To all of his disciples. After he told them. As the father sent me. So now I send you. He breathed on them and said. Receive the Holy Spirit. They probably went flying. Probably landed on the floor. Manifesting like crazy. Shaking for days. I mean you would right? When. The son of God freshly raised from the dead goes (gasps) And breathes into you and says receive the Holy Spirit You probably will have a manifestation I don't think for a moment they all said Oh thank you very much (laughs) Well Hey, hey Johnny Yeah Pete, what was it like? He's coming, tell me quick Here he comes, tell me quick A little warm, a little moist Not bad, slightly fishy breath But okay, it's all right I don't think there was time for any of that, everybody. I think they went flying. And we lose our, we lose our, um, the joy of the scriptures because we read them through the lens of our boring experience at church. We've become accustomed to, some people have become accustomed to nothing happening. But let me tell you something, I'm not accustomed to nothing happening, I'm accustomed to serious things happening. And when you breathe on people and say, receive the Holy Spirit, even today, they'll fall down. I've been in meetings where I've gone like that and my shadow, like see there's a shadow right there with these lights, as I've gone like that, my shadows hit somebody and they came flying out of their chair like they were catapulted out of it. After after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, there when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. Thomas, called the twin. Oh, the, um, the very one that he said after this... The guy that he said Unless I see his hand Put my finger in his hands Put my, feet in his, my finger in his feet I'm not going to believe Because he wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared to the disciples Eight days later He was there and bam Boy did he have a face to face encounter With the living God He was there Here he is Nathanael of Cana in Galilee The sons of Zebedee That's James and John They were all there And two others of his disciples were together. Boy, it sucks to be those two others, doesn't it? They're not even named. How many of you have experienced that where you you, you just, the, the group is called out and you were forgotten? Nobody remembers your name. Well, in harvest time, it doesn't really matter. Because in harvest time, it's not about our ego. It's about the heart of the Lord reaching the lost and bringing generations into the kingdom. And two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And he wasn't referring to fishing of men, which is what we know he was called to by Jesus, right? He's going back to what he was Before he ever met Jesus Why? Because he denied Jesus three times Let's go fishing And they said to him We'll go with you And they went out and got into the boat But that night they caught nothing let me tell you something. In the kingdom of heaven, when you go backwards, you will hit a target of nothing. Nothing. The enemy the, the enemy knows the greatest way that he can keep you from experiencing the harvest that your life was created to experience in winning people to Jesus is to remind you of your past. If I can just remind you of your past If I can remind you of everything that disqualifies you If I can remind you of what you've done Where you promised Jesus you would do this, that or the other And you never did it When you promised that you would never do this, that and the other And you did it all again The enemy will remind you of your past And keep you in spiritual paralysis And you will catch nothing Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. How many of you, without realizing it, like me, have Jesus standing on the shore somewhere in your sphere of influence, and you don't even realize that he's there? We were reminded Justin and Kelly came with us to Bali because Justin and Kelly are our outreach pastors here in Raleigh-Durham, leading embrace but we want embrace and that whole passion for people who can never ever ever pay us back so to speak the jesus who carry jesus's heart for the hungry for the thirsty for the naked for those that have been in jail or are in jail for those that are sick or are or or in hospital that heart, we want that heart in every catch the fire church. And so we invited Justin and Kelly to come to, uh, <clears throat> to come to Bali to the advance in order that they would share what's happening right here in Durham. What's happening right here in Durham was shared in Bali, Indonesia. Come on. That's pretty cool. And, uh, and they did, they again, they were just a highlight in the moment. My goodness, you guys would have been so proud of Justin and Kelly. They just, just preached with such authority and just shared with such amazing passion and authority. It was amazing. It was amazing. And, um, and why was I telling you all that? Where was I going with that? Yeah, that's right. Your sphere of influence. Thank you. Jesus on the shore. And thank you, Hannah. See, my niece, she's listening. <laughs> Jesus was on the shore, but they didn't recognize him. Kelly was reminding us in Bali of how when they first went on the streets, the very first time, very first few weeks, they went out onto the streets in Durham with this mentality of we're bringing Jesus to Durham, to the streets. And she kept noticing everywhere she went, she kept noticing this same person with a baseball cap pulled down over their eyes. Very ordinary looking. And uh, on this one occasion, she wanted to know who that person was and they lifted up the baseball cap And she looked straight into the fiery eyes of Jesus. And he said, Kelly, I've always been here. We don't bring Jesus to the shores of the places of our influence. You don't bring Jesus into your high school. He's already there. You don't bring Jesus into your workplace. He's already there. You don't need to bring Jesus to your neighbor. He's already there when you realize that Jesus, the glory of God himself, is already there, you can begin to partner with him in his agenda of what he's doing, rather than our agenda of trying to win the lost. The glory of God, the scriptures say five at least five times, That the glory of the Lord fills the earth. But the scriptures also say that God is going to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so think about that for just a moment. The glory of the Lord is already there. But God's going to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. What's our job? Our job is to help people discover the glory, the glorious one, Jesus himself, not by bringing his glory, his glory's already there, but by partnering with him who is the glory so that everyone discovers the knowledge and gains the knowledge of God's glory. Does that help? It really helps me. When I think, when I go to, when Kate and I went to Calcutta, let me tell you something. Calcutta, India was one of the most challenging places that Kate and I have ever gone on earth. And I've been to close of 78 or 79 nations in this world. And there are some very, 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 very difficult, challenging places where the gospel has not really been yet. But Calcutta is next level darkness. We could literally, it was as though it was clinging all over us. Thousands of sheep are sacrificed every day to this false god, Kali. But we discovered that Jesus is in Calcutta, that Jesus loves the people of Calcutta, and that the light is of Jesus is so powerful, no darkness can overcome him. And it was very helpful to realize that the glory of God is in Calcutta before we arrived. So, guys, don't let any don't let any Christian get you all fearful that somewhere's dark. Yeah. And when I say any Christian, including your own heart. <laughs> Here's the thing it's really hard for me to see darkness because there's so much light shining out of me. Everywhere I look, the light in my eyes from Jesus seems to blow the darkness away. If, on the other hand, I focus on the darkness, I get worried, I won't even look in its direction in case it goes, boom! And I go, oh, why did you do that? I just forget. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, everybody say children. Do you have any fish? They answered him, no. Children, do you have any fish? No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Just cast it on the right side you know the first time they encountered jesus like this three and a half years earlier he said to them have you caught any fish no we've been fishing all night they said well go out into the deep and cast your nets and you'll catch a fish and so they went out into the deep they caught so much fish that the nets began to break this time jesus doesn't say to them go out into the deep you know why Because he's resurrected Because he's resurrected You don't need to go out to the deep In harvest time Your sphere of influence Right where you are Because Jesus is resurrected And he's there with you All you have to do is put your net out Right next to you Cast your net out on the right side of the boat and you will find some. I love how he says, you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in. The sum, you know. (laughs) Because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. For he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far off from the land but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out onto the land they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. That's cool. That's awesome. He'd already made breakfast for them. He knew they were exhausted. They'd been fishing all night. I mean, they're no different from us. Kate and I, we stayed up. It felt like two nights getting back from Bali. It was, we spent 16 hours on one single aeroplane. In the back of the plane. Don't be thinking we got upgraded or anything. No, I was squeezed in there like a little sardine. For 16 hours. You know what that's like? It's, you get up, you're like, I know what I'll do. I'll just go for a stretch. I mean, after all, you know, it's, it's been six hours, you know. Oh, six hours, we've had six hours. We've still got 10 to go. It's brutal. Now, I want to show you something that the Lord showed me. Sitting down by the swimming pool in Bali one afternoon. Some friends were talking with me. And all of a sudden, I went out of their conversation and into a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus said to me, he showed me. I'm going to say it in the way he showed me rather than he didn't speak words. But he showed me something. So, the way they fish... Is that they go out with their boat and they have these poles, and on the end of the pole they would hang a lantern. And that lantern would attract the fish. And then they would catch them with their nets, with whatever they caught them with. Their lantern, the light, brought the fish from the deep. But they caught nothing. The church has gone bald and bare trying to catch fish from Tyre. Figuratively, I'm speaking. All of this lantern fishing all night in the dark, all night, caught nothing. Why? because this is what the Lord showed me because he said I was over there on the shore and I'm the light of the world and all the fish in in the whole of the Sea of Galilee had come over to me they've got their little lights trying to catch fish Jesus is on the shore and all the fish are rushing to him That's why he didn't say go out into the deep. Because if he'd said go out onto the deep, there's no fish there either. Why? Because all the fish were right here at the shore. Why? Because Jesus, the light of the world, was standing there and he'd attracted all the fish. And he opened my eyes to realize the key to harvest time is Jesus. He's the most attractive powerful dynamic in harvest time that the world is looking for and you and i are filled with jesus we're the light of the world so the lord said to me stop with all your man-made fishing techniques and your false programs of evangelism and start shining like the lights of the world that you are. Filled with me. And start befriending the world. And loving the world. And showing the world that I'm the God who sits and cooks breakfast for you. When they got out of that out on the land they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Ooh, I love how they just counted them all. Not, they didn't put in an approximately 150. 153. And no regular fish full of large fish. I believe, Catch the Fire family, that we're in harvest time. And if you are willing, God will use you to catch some large fish. I'm, what is a large fish? Well, to me, figuratively speaking, a large fish is someone that Satan would hate to lose. How many of you know, those of you who know the scriptures well, how many of you know that the man of the Gadarenes, of which an enti- he, when he was asked what his name was, he said legion. How many of you know legion means a thousand? How many of you know that a man filled with a thousand demons that nobody could help, that was running naked in the tombs, that was so powerful he probably, the demons and principalities that were at work over the demons in that man, were probably responsible for the storm that was created when Jesus was on the way to come to that shore. Scripture doesn't say that for sure, but it's pretty easy to read it in between the lines. How many of you know that that man was a big fish? How many of you know that Satan did not want that man to be one to Jesus, but he could do nothing about it? You know what I love about that story? The story tells us that that man filled with a thousand demons, naked, and not one of those demons could stop that man running at full pelt and throwing himself at the feet of Jesus. The last thing that one of those demons wanted Jesus, wanted that man to do. Don't you dare go down to that man, Jesus. Don't, no, 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 no. What are you doing? A thousand voices screaming at him. And not one of those demons could stop that man when he used his human will. Demons are not powerful. Human beings are powerful. And a person who didn't even know Jesus, God has created us as human beings with such a powerful will even over the demonic that even if you don't know Jesus, the demonic can do nothing to stop you coming to Jesus. I mean, come on, everybody. And I don't know whether it's because Bali was a place just so jammed full of idols everywhere. You're walking down the road and there's, you know, phallic symbols everywhere and just very, you know, the the island has been dominated by Hinduism. And there was just literally statues and idols everywhere, every two or three feet. But it brought me back... Very excited about Jesus. And you might not be dealing with in-your-face idolatry, everybody. But let me tell you, America has no less idolatry. It's just dressed up differently. And so God wants to come through you. You are the light of the world. God wants to... You to realize that Jesus on the inside of you is so powerful. Jesus on the outside of you is so powerful when the, when you, when Jesus in you meets. This sounds weird, okay, but just help me. Just give me license for a minute. When Jesus in you, the spirit of Jesus in you brings you to the shore that he's standing on, where he's cooking a meal. You will have no difficulty whatsoever winning the lost that are right there. And they will sit down and fellowship and eat that meal with you. And Jesus said to them, come and have... Although there were so many, the net was not torn. Notice that after resurrection, the net wasn't torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And I think the fact the net wasn't torn is, again, it's symbolic... Uh, allegorically symbolic of the church being born and the nets were not torn come and have breakfast none of the disciples dared ask him who are you they knew it was the Lord and Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish I love I just love that he's just so into food especially fried fish it's my favorite This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And the Bible goes on, three times he asked him, parallel to the three times he denied him, Jesus restored him to his calling and his purpose. And some of you this morning, you've been struggled in the past with soul winning. You've had a go, you've shared your your heart with somebody and they just... They just despised you. They despised your message. They wanted nothing to do with the God that you love so much. And it just so deeply hurt you and wounded you. You thought, I will never open my mouth again like that. And some of you just need to realize that day's over because it's harvest time. And Jesus is saying to you, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Lambs. Two, the next two times he says sheep, but he starts with lambs. And that once, that brings me to what I believe is symbolically the Egypt. Tyre is difficult. Egypt's easy. God said to Ezekiel, tell Nebuchadnezzar, you've worked hard against Tyre, bald on your head. Bear on your shoulders, your army's exhausted, trying to get tired. You did finally win it. However, I'm going to give you Egypt for your reward and it's going to be so easy. Get ready, everybody. How many of you in this room gave your lives to Jesus before you were 25 years old? Raise your hands. Stand up if you gave your lives to Jesus. After you were 26 or above Stand up please Okay So look How few there are Compared to those that were one Before they were 25 Sit down If you gave your life to Jesus Before you were 30 Sit down if you gave your life to Jesus Before you were 40 We have two people left standing. Don't look at them. We don't want them feeling singled out. But their names are Ray and Roger. (laughs) You know why I'm saying your names? Because you're heroes in the kingdom. Because you are so exceptional. Think about it, everybody. Exceptional. Somebody won Ray and Roger to Jesus over the age of 40. Look how exceptional that is. However, as much as I love those two men, and they mean a lot to me, each of them, they are the exception rather than heaven's norm. Heaven's norm is under the age of 25. But if I was to say to you, the church is launching a new evangelism thrust. We're going after the lost everybody. I doubt that there's a single person in this room that would think to themselves, yes, the six-year-olds are giving their lives to Jesus. We're going, the church is going after eight years old. The first thought that would come into your mind is, Oh, he's going to want me to start speaking to my colleagues at work that are 35 years old, 45 years old. No. Good news, everybody. We're not, wor- we're not going to go for them. Not because they're not worthy of it. But because heaven's saying, I'm giving you Egypt as your reward for Tyre. You've worked Did you get that? Did you hear that? (laughs) You've worked tirelessly trying to win your friends. But heaven's agenda and design is not that human beings are open to be one to Jesus when they're 35 years old or older. Heaven's design is to win your children's best friends to Jesus. And if you'll just switch gears... And if you'll just start allowing heaven to open your eyes in your heart and open your heart, open you in your spirit, that you would start to celebrate who heaven's celebrating right now, which is aged 4 to 25, and you start to think about them, you will come into harvest time. And by the way, it's for every generation. Because you know who the meanest, baddest, most awesome Most incredible soul winners are By design Grandparents Grandparents Not to mention great grandparents Great grandparents are even more dangerous You know why? Because in the kingdom of heaven Natural strength goes nowhere When it comes to the spirit So let me tell you something, those of you that are 40 years old and older, if this church starts to look a bit younger, like I mean our lead pastors, 28 and 32, if our church starts to look younger in its expression and in its, in it, 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 its culture and its ethos, don't be thinking if you're over the age of 35, oh this church isn't for me anymore. No, 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 no. Understand that the more gray hairs you have that I have, the more dangerous you are in the spirit and the more useful you are in the church. Because you can be the one that can speak to your grandbabies when your pet, when your children would not want you to. But you and I know, I'm the grandfather. Uh, sorry, Aaron and Jess, but when your four kids are with Mimi and Papa, it's Mimi and Papa's rules. <laughs> and if, Aaron, thankfully, Aaron and Jess know the Lord, but if they didn't know the Lord, it would still be Papa Mimi's rules. <laughs> and in Papa Mimi's rules... We love Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We'll introduce your kids to Jesus even if you've turned your back on Jesus. And if you're great grandparents, you're the most dangerous of all. Because nobody, nobody, and I mean nobody, even the hardened atheist, is not going to be able to tell their sweet grandparents to stop telling their children about Jesus. Because you just don't do that to 80 plus year olds Come on everybody it's harvest time I don't know if I could have preached this in a more exciting way to get you excited that it's harvest time This is the best way that I this is as excited as I could possibly do to get you excited about harvest time okay It's going to be easy if we focus on our kids, so let's stand up, everybody. All right, now let's just think strategy for just a moment, okay? How many of you ever heard of FCA? How many of you homeschool your kids and have and have a, a, a what, what's it, what what do you call that when you you have homeschool um, co-ops? How many of you've got homeschool co-ops? What an opportunity right there! How many of you send your kids to soccer? How many of you go with your grandson to soccer even after you've just got off a plane for 30 hours? <laughs> now, promise me one thing. Don't be weird. <laughs> I don't want Cats of Fire to be suddenly known of as the weird church that's running around chasing five-year-olds. But strategically, the first thing is, heaven, fill my heart with your heart for kids, for youth. So let's just ask him right now. So lift your hands up. Put your hands up. That's it. Just ask the Lord right now. Heavenly Father, with all my heart, I ask you for your heart for children, for youth. Help me to see them the way you see them. The greatest window of opportunity for them to come to know you. Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I have not seen them. I'm sorry I've been, you can put your hands down if you want. and Just keep your eyes closed. I'm sorry if I've been caught up in a world of What car do I drive? What house do I live in? What beach house can I buy? What mountain house can I buy? What career move can I do next? What prophetic word can I give? What what amazing healing I can do next? And in all of that thinking, your children never enter my mind. I ask your forgiveness, Father. I've been thinking about Tyre. I've rubbed my head bald. I've rubbed my shoulders bare. I've been trying to win a generation that have already passed the best moment of opportunity. Lord, I ask you that you'd give me, truly give me your heart for the kids. Lord, even when they look scary, even when I don't understand them, Even when they're all packed in together like a mosh pit, ordering their Chick fil A. And I'm mad that they got in front of me because I got to wait for 25 people to order their number one. Lord, give me your heart for the children. And Lord, I ask you that you give me opportunities to see my children make friends with them. My grandchildren make friends with them. Lord, I ask that you give me a heart that burns so brightly with your heart that I would remember them in my prayer. And that I would lift them up before your throne. That God, we would each of us take our place in this billion soul harvest. In Jesus' name, Amen.